Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication. Hi everybody, this is Kevin Fulta with the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast where we talk about issues in medicine and agriculture with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for both people and the planet. So this week I'm out in Dusseldorf, Germany at a really important meeting that I've had a great time at. Unfortunately, it's difficult to do those interviews and have a weekly podcast happening. Um, You may have noticed that it's been a little bit disruptive lately and a little more difficult for me to keep up on top of a good steady stream of interviews. It's mostly because, uh, you know, my partner in this, Paul Vincelli, he's been up to his eyeballs and I've been having some personal changes in life, all good, I think, but nonetheless disruptive. So thank you very much for continuing to listen and continuing to tell your friends about the Talking Biotech podcast. Lots of great stuff coming up in the future. Today's interview was done by my graduate student, Christopher Barbie. He was recently at the Plant Animal Genome Meeting in San Diego, California, and had the opportunity to sit down and talk to Angela Records. Dr. Records is an expert scientific expert, (laughs) uh, scientific advisor uh, with USAID. It's a really compelling interview that I really hope you enjoy, and I hope you continue to listen to Talking Biotech Podcast. Uh, Everything will be back to normal soon, and I'll be back in the States, and really looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. With me here at Plant Animal Genome Conference is Dr. Angela Records. Angela is an International Agricultural Research Advisor in the Bureau for Food Security at USAID. That's the U.S. Agency for International Development. Angela just presented a great summary of some of her work in global food security. Chronic hunger affects about a billion human beings worldwide. Considering there's about 7 billion of us, that's not good. could be doing a lot better. Unfortunately, by and large, People are really apathetic, apart from the occasional passive feeling of sympathy, which doesn't really count. But Angela is really doing something about it. Angela has a PhD in plant pathology. She's using that insight in part to organize these big 
public and private research partnerships internationally to translate basic scientific discovery in plant science into actual stuff people can grow and eat and use. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. First off, what is USAID? So USAID is the U.S. Agency for International Development, and this is the U.S. government's organization to work with developing country partners and help um, end extreme poverty while promoting uh, resilient democratic societies and also advancing our own security and, and prosperity. Yeah, one point that I thought was really amazing about your presentation is that food security can really translate not just into health and economic well-being, but political stabilization uh, and improve democratic and social values in, developing, in the developing world, as well as like security in the most like traditional sense of the word. Mm-hmm. In doing this kind of work, we can improve the situation of the world, not just for uh, him and her in that country, but also for, for us as well. So wh- what is it about agricultural growth in particular that can spur uh, economic growth and in, 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 in social advance? So, I mean, so first of all, you know, hungry people are, are dissatisfied and, and are more likely to, um, to, you know, want change and demand change. Um, data has shown that agriculture is one of the best ways to achieve economic development. So um, if you can, you know, support smallholder farmers and ensure that they are producing um, enough food to support their families and then, and then ideally some to, you know, sell on the side, it's a it's a very basic kind of economy, but it's the kind of economy that that spurs you know further growth, and so you end up with um, entrepreneurs who are, for example, um, growing grains that are then um, turned into processed food products. And so, for example, one of the programs that I manage is uh, the Food Processing and Post Harvest Handling Innovation Lab, which is um, we partner with Purdue University in Indiana, and um, they. Um, um, work with local partners in Africa to develop highly nutritious food products um, that local, mostly women entrepreneurs, are trained to actually develop these products and then market them to um, the population. And one advance that we've um, that they've promoted in recent years is um, extrusion technology, which is basically um, the technologies that used to make like Cheetos or dog food or like instant instant cereals and things like that. Um, they have these small extruders in these um, training centers where women can learn um, how to create their own food products that are instant and then they can market those to their friends and neighbors. So um, a mother who is concerned about the nutrition for her children who has the demands of managing a farm or a household or whatever else, can have an instant porridge now that's highly nutritious and um, easy to make and, and to feed her family. So it's, it's kind of just a, a huge win-win. Uh, and that's just one example of how, you know, the type of work we do can really kind of make larger change. Right. So how do you guys affect that? Do you have people and experts on the ground talking to people or, or is it through education at their local universities or yeah so both so um so basically um the the program i alluded to was a, a, an innovation lab which is one of our kind of our premier um investments in the research division in the bureau for food security so these are u.s university-led programs so u.s university experts partner with um um, experts around the world and including the countries where we work and they um, develop technologies and so they're they're doing that in in partnership with um, scientists in the countries where we work 
and um, it involves a lot of capacity building so there's a lot of training of the next generations of scientists so graduate students will come from um, come from the developing countries and work in the US or vice versa and and then in terms of um, getting the word out so you know there's a lot of outreach that goes along with this and kind of educating the population in the example that I gave with the food processing um, you know there are a lot of considerations that go into what kind of products are developed so it's not just a matter of we're going to try to give you something nutritious it's a matter of what what are the the local grains what is already kind of the staple food that people enjoy and how can we make that a little more nutritious and then how can we you know make products that are appealing and so to do that we have to partner with um, experts and and just regular stakeholders in the countries where we work so that we can learn from them what is the what is the right sort of mix of tastes and flavors in the country versus you know the nutritious pieces that we want to bring into the products so it's um, it's a partnership with um, with local experts another aspect of that particular project was um, taste tests so what are people willing to pay for something that's a little more nutritious so they do these sort of blind taste studies where they bring people in and they explain okay this particular product is uh, more nutritious for your children but this one's instant and this you know they're given all these choices and then they get to determine through a, a pretty scientific process what are the local people willing to pay for these products so there's so much thinking that goes into the development of the technologies that we support and really trying to trying to think of it in a way that makes it sustainable and um, something that will be taken up by by the people yeah there's a lot of components to that so how does how does genomics fit into what you guys are trying to do with global food security and adapting local varieties to do better absolutely so we support a number of um, genomics activities um, and we're focused on crops that are of importance to the countries where we work um, so we, this is ranges from cereals, um, a lot of sort of traditional approaches to breeding more resilient um, sorghum, for example, which is a, a drought-resistant crop, wheat or um, legumes. Um, we have a, a several biotech activities looking at how can we improve um, disease resistance in cassava or banana. Um, but basically, it starts with an understanding of the local context. What are the foods that are most suitable and um, palatable? And then how can we um, improve those so that they're disease resistant or uh, drought or heat stress resistant? Um, and so those are the kind of investments that we're making in, in genomics. A lot of really good examples about what uh, the Feed the Future initiative is doing in this area and improving crop genetics and cultural practices. You guys have a partnership with the World Coffee, uh, with World Coffee Research. Mm. What's going on there? And why are you guys trying to improve coffee? Yeah, well, this is an exciting project because, first of all, it's a public-private partnership. So for every U.S. taxpayer dollar that goes into this activity, it's matched by the private sector. So um, the, you know, the specialty coffee organizations in the U.S., and um, they contribute funds towards research that supports um, understanding coffee genomics, um, improved um, management practices, and um, you know, better supporting the the farmers in, in 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 the case of the project I was describing in Central America. But we have similar work throughout Africa and Asia as well. And this is about um, you know ensuring resilience of the of the coffee crop 
which is, um, it, you know, there are sort of two kinds of coffee. There's Arabica and Robusta, and Arabica is the kind of specialty coffee that we all pay a little bit more for that has the really great flavor. But it's, as the name Robusta suggests, it's robust. Arabica, not as much. And so um, Arabica needs a little more help. And um, what what we are supporting in this particular project that I described was... Um, approaches to um, help uh, farmers in Central America deal with the effects of coffee rust. So there was a a big outbreak of this fungal disease, um, like in 2011-2012, it caused devastating losses in Central America. The farmers are just kind of trying to recover from that. And, um, you know, it's not what we would traditionally think of as a food security crop, but if you think how important coffee is to the small holder farmers and the pickers of the berries and, and the locals in the countries where the, the crop is grown, it is critically important to their economic future. So um, we're supporting, um, we have a partnership with World Coffee Research, um, which is an organization that brings the private sector funding in and supports these activities. And um, basically we're developing information for farmers to understand the varieties that are available, um, resistant they are to disease, their agronomic features, their cupping quality, which is to describe how well the coffee tastes once once you grow the plants and roast the beans. Is that really what it's called? Uh, cupping it's quality? cupping quality, and and it's it's you can't even think about just disease or you know agronomic features without also taking into account is this going to taste good at the end of the day. So that's another important feature that we consider. Um, and so there, there's this information that's being produced, and then there's also variety trials. So they've taken um, coffee from around the world and brought it in and planted it throughout Central America, and they're watching it grow and seeing, you know, how well does it um, survive in the condition, the local conditions, and how um, how well does it resist disease, etc. So this is going to be a really useful source of information for growers so that they can understand which kind of varieties they should plant in their in their plantations. So, so you. USAID organizes a lot through partnerships, partnerships through uh, industry you know, mm-hmm. and also through academia. So for academics that are listening, how can they help promote what you guys are doing? Well, so there's always, um, there's certainly, and, then, and this is kind of the reason we're here at this conference, is the idea is to really bring in the best science to um, partner with um, our, our colleagues in the developing world. And so how do we um, bring in the, the most sort of novel, innovative thinking to address these problems? And ac- that's where academia comes in. And so and what we're really encouraging is for those of us, I, th- I think like you and myself, who are trained in very molecular, sort of at-the-bench type of science, is that how can we translate that in a meaningful way that actually has impact in, in these countries? And so academics have so much to bring to the table, and it's a matter of identifying, you know, what is it that, what are the needs, and how does my research fit into, into that space? And so I think the best way to approach that is to, you know, if, I'm an, if I were to advise an academic here in the U.S. or in Europe, how can you get involved in global development, I think the first step is to attend a scientific conference in a developing country you know go in and see what are people doing there there's a lot of really impressive work going on um, in in these countries and so finding out what's going on what are the gaps what are the needs and then identifying logical connections between what you bring to the table and what um, what our partners could bring to the table what what's something that's going on right now that excites you 
I'm a plant pathologist, so I, I tend to get excited about diseases, and, and maybe that's not a good thing because diseases are bad. <laughs> but uh, but only the job, though. Right, right. There's some some job security there. But you know, I do um, I tend to really um, pay attention to what are the emerging threats in the countries where we work, and even here in the U.S. Like, what is it that you know we're always going to be battling disease? That's always going to be around. There there will be an arms race between pathogens and hosts forever. And so I think it's uh, important for us to kind of maintain an awareness. One thing that's that's really um, in the news right now is uh, the threat of fall armyworm, which is a an insect pest that is has been in the U.S. but it has now made its way to Africa, and is really devastating crops there. Yeah, I've seen them on, on YouTube. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, and that's something we're really kind of scrambling. In fact, our administrator um, had, you know, a call to action. So we've put together a task force with um, with the inter- our interagency colleagues. So we're partnering with others in the U.S. government to, and then, of course, internationally to kind of figure out what's the best way forward to, to deal with this, this threat. Um, so I think those kinds of things are exciting because it's like an opportunity to really sort of, for me at least, to really bring my my scientific expertise to the table and kind of try to help think through the best response. That's great. Angela Records, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at Calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.